Are you ready to stop stress, anxiety, and low self-esteem from ruining your life? Join award-winning author and breakthrough expert Dr. Friedman Schaub for Empowerment Radio as he addresses some of the most difficult challenges in our day-to-day lives. Find out how you can use the power of your mind to overcome self-sabotaging patterns and build a solid foundation of confidence and self-respect. Learn cutting-edge tools to switch out of survival mode and approach every day with greater ease, joy, and purpose. Here is your host on Empowerment Radio, Dr. Friedman Schaub. Welcome to uh, Empowerment Radio and Happy New Year. Happy New Decade. It uh, is the 2nd of January and I really hope that you had a wonderful holiday season and that you also had a very smooth transition into this new year. I'm your host, Dr. Friedman, and for those of you who have never tuned into Empowerment Radio, I am the author of The Fear and Anxiety Solution. You can find more about my breakthrough programs on drfriedman.com. Sign up for my social media outlets, especially Instagram, where you can not only find inspirational quotes and things that are new about me and my work, you can also see me in a Grinch costume, which happened recently on Christmas, or what happens when a 1,200-pound horse steps on your foot and how that can just really look painfully swollen and other things. So you learn a little bit more about my life, my work, and, and my mission. Now, I used to be in cardiology, also molecular biology as a researcher and a physician, but really my purpose in life is to help people to overcome their emotional, mental challenges. And one of the greatest challenges that we are facing is anxiety. I think, you know, at the beginning of the year, anxiety is for many just like on the top of the list for many reasons. They are the regrets for the holidays. Oh, I spent too much money. I ate too much. I didn't really connect with my family. I wasted a lot of time and many other regrets we can have that bring up anxiety. And then there is the looking into the next year as maybe another mountain that needs to be climbed where you just feel like overwhelmed by all the to-dos and all the obligations that are waiting for you. Or it may feel like that there are just, you know, these changes that are waiting to happen, whether you know that you have to look for a new job or you go back to school or you have to make decisions about maybe your health, your relationships, or maybe that your kids have left the house and are off to college and now you're facing that emptiness. That in itself can bring up anxiety as well. And then there is, of course, also the anxiety about the desires and the goals that we have and and that fear of not being able to meet those goals and and hopes and wishes, and at the end of the year, once again, stand there and feeling like a failure. So there is a really high time for anxiety, which is why I love to talk at the beginning of the year on how to make this year your breakthrough year, how to learn to live with less or be free from anxiety altogether. And that is 
the topic of the show today. It's about the 10 keys that can help you to just change your mind about anxiety and also feel more empowered and more clear when you're facing it. You know, considering that anxiety is such a big deal and a multi-billion dollar business for the pharmaceutical companies, I think we all have some very limiting ideas about anxiety. We have some ideas that make anxiety, you know, look more like a monster or something that's attacking us or a flaw or a disorder rather than something that may be just also an opportunity, something that we could really look at and feel like, yeah, maybe the anxiety actually is so powerful because there is something really powerful waiting behind it. Maybe this is a chance for me to, to learn something that I didn't know before. My story with anxiety started when I was very little, you know, just like got into my into my teens, and, uh, and it was a mainly an anxiety about feeling out of control, an anxiety of the shoe dropping and my parents potentially divorcing or World War III breaking out. And then there was the anxiety of failing and not being good enough and not measuring up to my parents' expectations. All that compounded into almost 20 years of struggles with anxiety. And and those struggles, you know, I try to compensate with medication, with uh, trying to just, you know, outrun it or outperform it. You know, when you feel like not good enough, you just say, yeah, I'm going to have to reach higher and higher expectations. The bar has to go to a new uh, level every time. And you hope that one day you're going to feel good enough. And of course, that's not the case. But finally, in my early 30s, I learned how to not only just overcome the anxiety, but really how to appreciate it, how to learn from it. And since then, since uh, more than 20 years, I'm helping people to overcome anxiety and other emotional challenges. And, and I learn every year, every month, something new about it. I think anxiety is a very fascinating topic. Our mind is a very fascinating topic. And, and it's really such a, a rich place of potential and learning that we really should spend more time with. And that's one of the keys that I want to share with you today. So let's just jump into the keys of anxiety-free living. And the first key is to take ownership. As I mentioned before, we often feel when the heart is pounding, your breath is fast, your mind is cloudy, and uh, all you want is just either run away or fight or, or you feel frozen. And those moments where you feel powerless, where you feel that the anxiety to control, in those moments, you have the sense that the anxiety is done to you. I know clients that cannot sit still when they're anxious. They are pacing around as if a wild animal is chasing them. Others feel just like, you know, constantly looking over their shoulder, wondering when will the anxiety show up again? Will it, you know, happen when I'm in public, in traffic, or maybe in a grocery store or among friends? 
So it's a, that feeling that anxiety is able to take over just out of the blue at any time, and it's done to you. And that feeling of being victimized by your emotions makes you, of course, completely powerless. But the truth is, you are creating your emotions and you are also creating anxiety. And it's your mind that creates it. It's not a, a mistake by your mind. It's not a flaw that your mind has some kind of a misfiring happen. Your mind creates your emotions for certain reasons, and that's also true for anxiety. Now, believe it or not, this is quite a powerful you know, awareness when we are accepting the fact that anxiety is not done to us, but that we are creating it and that we can learn how to uncreate it. And what's empowering about this is that with that, we have access to the most powerful tool that is available to us to overcome anxiety, which is the place where it comes from, our mind. And here in particular, I'm talking about that irrational, that deeper part of the mind, the subconscious mind. So when we come back, we will talk more about how to use the subconscious mind and how to understand the subconscious mind better to overcome anxiety and live free from it. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Stuck in a roundabout of dysfunction? Learn how to speak your truth to power with host Dr. Kathy O'Bear. Create real change with smart tools and smart strategies. No frills, no fluff, just life-changing conversations to help get you where you want to be. Extend your reach and become an agent for real change with Kathy O'Bear. For more information on Kathy and her work, please visit drkathyobear.com. That's drkathyobear.com. To see your life from an angel's perspective, book a personal consultation with Claire Candy Hoff, angelic walk-in angel Ariel at Angel Healing House. Candy provides intuitive counseling, Reiki, and angel readings in person in Los Angeles or nationally and internationally via phone or Skype. She will channel the practical tools you need to transform your life. Call now, 831-277-3716 or visit angelhealinghouse.com. Tune in to The Jen Royster Show, intuitive guidance to inspire your life, each Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific and 11 a.m. Eastern on TransformationTalkRadio.com. This amazing show is an inspirational hour that will take you on an epic metaphysical journey to discover the spiritual approach to life's greatest challenges. Dr. Jen is an internationally known intuitive counselor, spiritual teacher, and energy healer. Call in for intuitive readings and visit JenRoyster.com for more information. Welcome back to Empowerment Radio, talking about the 10 keys on how to have a life that is rather free from anxiety. And for that, the first key is to take ownership and just be 
more aware of that you are creating anxiety, your mind creates anxiety, and whatever your mind creates, it can also learn to uncreate it. Now, the second key is one of the more challenging ones, which is to look at your anxiety from a place of neutrality. And, and there are two reasons why this is so important. The first reason is that when we are looking at anxiety more neutrally, and we are not judging ourselves for having anxiety, and we are not judging the anxiety as something good or bad or you know, damaging or not, we are just seeing it as information. We are much more open than to also understand more what is the anxiety actually trying to tell us? What's behind it? Why does it show up? You know, in, uh, in uh, success coaching or high-performance coaching, I just read about uh, Russell, Will uh, Russell Wilson, <laughs> the quarterback of the Seahawks, which is just a fascinating story in itself. But one of um, uh, his strategies that he was taught by his coach was to really look at whatever he's doing on the field with neutrality. So whether he's doing you know, an amazing pass or he just really overthrew it or made a big mistake, rather than judging it, just seeing it as something he wants to learn from, he wants to get more information from. That's number one. But the other reason why neutrality is so important is that we are creating a secondary anxiety once we have felt anxiety for some time. And what I mean with secondary anxiety is that we are afraid of our own anxiety. And that's something that a lot of people don't really realize, that at some point they may have addressed where the anxiety came from and what it meant and the, the root causes, but they still have that phobia of their own anxiety in the back of their mind, that distrust in their emotions. So that is where we have to really see that anxiety no longer as something that we have to avoid and we have to be afraid of, but again, more as information and information that may really be very valuable and not something that uh, we just want to you know, either drown out or ignore. So when you are dealing with anxiety, be really aware of, am I dealing with an anxiety that is caused by a certain you know situation and uh, by something where you would say like well you know my anxiety is probably situational right now because i'm facing these challenges or i'm you know you know maybe in a in a certain kind of uh, change situation or is it anxiety that actually is no longer about anything that's going on in your life? It's just about that you had anxiety in the first place, and now you're afraid of having it again. And so when you feel that, you haven't really fully embraced and, you know, you could say befriended anxiety in the first place is just to see it as neutral. Just when it comes up, like you are neutral about feeling tired, and I'd say, okay just need to sleep. You feel neutral about when you're hungry. You say, yeah, I'm just going to eat something or you're going to drink something. So these sensations in the body, even if you have you know, pain, maybe because you have a cavity, there's a still a certain kind of neutrality about it. And 
and you may not like the sensation, it may be uncomfortable, but you're not freaking out about it. And that's what we really have to get to with anxiety as well. This is where mindfulness can be very helpful, but also understanding more what the anxiety that comes up is trying to tell you. And that's number three. You know, understanding and appreciating the intention of the anxiety. There is a deeper intention that the anxiety has that made anxiety preserved by evolution throughout hundreds of thousands of years. Generations after generations, we have kept the ability to create anxiety. Now, if anxiety would be really something useless, something that uh, ultimately just wants to torture us or holds us back or has no real value, well, chances are that evolution would have just canceled it out at some point. But no, anxiety is there for a reason. And you know, most of us know that the anxiety is about protection. Now, there is a deeper um, part of the mind that I mentioned before that's subconscious that creates anxiety in order to keep us safe. And the way it does that is usually that it observes at the time when we are the most vulnerable and maybe the most pow powerless and dependent on others. It observes us, it observes our environment, it observes others, and just draws conclusions. And the questions it tries to answer is, how can I make sure that I'm going to be safe, that I will not get uh, abandoned or rejected, and that I find some kind of love or comfort through others? And those early questions and important questions then also bring up certain strategies. And one of the strategies that the subconscious brings up is anxiety. Whenever you're doing something that potentially could make you either get harmed, abandoned, or unloved, anxiety kicks in and warns you and tells you, well, you have to make a course correction. And so this is where these anxiety patterns start. You know, a client of mine had a very tumultuous upbringing and in many ways, uh, you know, early on learned that uh, she had to take care of herself. She had to depend on herself. Parents were too busy either fighting or just, you know, creating their own stress and dysfunction. So they couldn't really take care of her. So she decided, I'm going to be self-reliant. And not only self-reliant in just keeping the head above water ways, but really self-reliant in, I'm going to become the best person I possibly can be. And so she wanted to always be the best in school. She was very ambitious in regards to her athleticism. Then later on in college, she uh, graduated with honors and so on and so on. And, you know, really a standout person. And you would say like, wow, isn't it wonderful how she really has, uh, you know, not only uh, survived, but really thrived from her challenging upbringing. Well, one day, it turns all in the opposite direction. She was married, thought it would be a wonderful marriage, but it turned out that her husband wasn't really trustworthy and wasn't really uh, the person that the, she thought she um, you know, got in front of the altar with. 
She also had problems at work where some envious manager who felt threatened uh, by her abilities and just by her personality started to mob her. And in those, you know, more and more out of control circumstances, she had a panic attack. And that panic attack, you know, felt so strange that she thought she had a heart attack. And so she went to the hospital and, and it turns out, you know, it was, quote unquote, just a panic attack. But from that moment on, the anxiety just, you know, continuously held her back and made her life smaller. And that is where the anxiety kicked in when everything was out of control, the marriage and the work and everything seemed to be no longer manageable. And the anxiety said, okay, let's just pull back and go to a safe place. And the safest place is the place that usually is controllable, comfort zone. In her case, the comfort zone was her home. And so the anxiety and that fear of having a physical problem and made her life just smaller and smaller and therefore also more safe in the, in the mind of the subconscious because the smaller and the more controllable, the safer. Now, these kind of anxieties may sound familiar to you, where you really feel like, well, when I look back, there is an intention to keep me safe, but unfortunately, that intention backfires because it makes me actually feel miserable. It makes my life, you know, uh, somehow even less manageable because I'm losing my jobs or my relationships, or I'm so consumed with my health that I don't really feel like, you know, I have anything else that I enjoy or look forward to. So that's where that protective uh, mechanism can also overshoot and just create more havoc then it really creates benefits. But again, the program started early in life and they're assuming that you still need the same protection that you needed when you were a child. And with this client, it was a protection through control and micromanagement, but then also a protection through withdrawing and avoidance of anything that potentially can harm. So once you understand that the anxiety is there for a reason, something inside of you, this inner protector feels that you're not safe or that there is something threatening you, not necessarily physically, but again, it can be about rejection, lack of love, feeling like an outsider. Those things can bring up those anxiety mechanisms. So appreciate that the intention is not bad. It's actually a survival intention. Now, the fourth step is to be curious about it. So how does my mind do it? You know, how do I create anxiety? So often we are noticing that anxiety only when it's there, you know, only when the heart is pounding or when the sweat is flowing or when we are feeling completely confused because, you know, uh, our emotions are taking over our brain. But there is something that happened before. And what happened before is something that we can see more clearly with step number two, where we are more neutral about it and observe more and backtrack and rewind and think about what was I thinking right before I felt this anxiety? Did I wake up with it? So was there a dream? Or did I have like one first initial thought? Like, you know, maybe I thought about work or maybe I thought about 
you know, something that's ahead of me or maybe how I was performing, uh, you know, in front of the family or whatever it was. Just be curious to watch your thoughts and the thoughts that especially repeat themselves that create anxiety. And anxiety doesn't have to be a panic attack. It can be just a low-grade anxiety with little spikes. So writing down your negative thoughts can be really, really helpful. And negative thoughts, again, are not just about you judging yourself. Negative thoughts can be also thoughts that are about others or the state of the world or the government or whatever it is that brings you into a state of worry. Sometimes the first step to go to worry and anxiety can also be frustration. And that may be followed by a sense of powerlessness. And that, again, can lead to that feeling of anxiety. So just, you know, taking inventory. Your mind creates the anxiety and you just can, through watching your thoughts, be more aware of how the mind is doing it. I also find it's really important when you are thinking about, you know, with curiosity, how do I create anxiety to look at the circumstances when it shows up? Are you feeling anxious when you go to work? Or are you feeling anxious when you're leaving work? Do you feel anxious by yourself or more when you're around others? Do you feel anxious maybe also in situations where, you know, you're facing a challenge? Or maybe you are getting anxious when you have a goal and you really feel like you have to push yourself hard to get there. Notice those environmental circumstances and whatever leads potentially to the anxiety pattern. And then notice what the pattern looks like. Is it a pattern of, I want to just shut down, avoid, and lock myself away? Or is it a pattern of, oh, someone may be upset with me, so I need to apologize, or I need to please, I need to buy a gift? Or is it a pattern of I need to work harder, I need to, you know, give more, push more? Or is it a pattern of control where you feel like, you know, you have to tighten up and you have to make sure that people are respecting you or that uh, all the circumstances are laid out for you and there is no, you know, uncertainty left? These are some of those major anxiety patterns that you may observe. And they will teach you a lot about the next key that we will get to after the break. We'll be right back. Are you done being afraid to jump into the life that's waiting for you? Are you ready for a real shift? I invite you to tune in every Tuesday with me, Tracy L, on the Tracy L Clark Show, where we will teach you how to live your extraordinary life. At 8 a.m. Pacific on Transformation Talk Radio, where I will provide the tools and the steps needed to help you transcend perceived limitations and move forward with an extraordinary life. For more information, visit me at tracylclark.com. Dream on, lie high, and live adventurously on The Laura Meeks Show. Tune in each month on Transformation Talk Radio as host Laura Meeks guides you in finding your unique gifts and bringing them to life. As a certified life coach, speaker, and veteran bomber pilot for the U.S. Air Force, Laura knows how to follow a dream. 
She is ready to support you so you can dream on, fly high, and live adventurously. For more information on Laura and her work, visit flyhighliving.com. Welcome back to Empowerment Radio. We're talking about the 10 keys on how to create anxiety-free living. And if you hear a little anxious voice, this is my cat who has separation anxiety. So whenever I'm locking her out, she's starting to scream and yell. <laughs> so she's with me now, but she may be still screaming, yelling, complaining. Who knows? We'll see. <laughs> I'll try to make sure that she's quiet. Uh, before the break, we talked about the curiosity and just being uh, you know, aware of how do I create anxiety? What are my thoughts and patterns? Now, the next key is to realize, as I talked before about, that these are old programs that started probably in your childhood that make you feel anxious and go to those patterns in the first place. And those programs can be stored emotions that are really, you know, basically still the fuel for that anxiety. Now, it sounds like, you know, past is past. We can't change it. It's behind us. A lot of people think this. Actually, one of my relatives just, you know, pointed out in Christmas, I don't believe in the past. I only believe in the future. I don't really think the past has any value. Well, that's a belief, but the truth is the past is still there. It's somehow inside of us stored. And one of the most, uh, I think, obvious, but also hardest experiences about that was with my father. When my father, uh, who was, you know, in his late teens during World War II and uh, someone who had to go to the war in, in Germany, and uh, and certainly not really, uh, you know, was mentally, emotionally equipped for this at that time. He went uh, into a prison camp, almost died, had to flee. So there are a lot of really traumas he had to go through. When my father was operated on his heart, when he was in his uh, late 70s, after the operation, he went into a post-operative delirium which basically is something that we cannot really explain other than that there are deep stored memories and emotions that are unlocked through the surgery and the uh, general anesthesia. And that's exactly what happened for my father, who for several days believed that he was back in the war. And he was describing the scenes of the wars and screaming, you know, for help and, uh, and really going through terrible traumas that he experienced again and nothing could calm him down and no one could actually make him realize, you know, you're not in World War II, you're okay, you're safe. So it was really something that showed you that no matter whether we are thinking about it or not, the subconscious stores emotions and especially traumatic anxiety-inducing emotions until we are able to release them. And connected to those emotions are our beliefs. 
And those beliefs can be like, you know, I'm not safe, which my father really never felt. Something bad can happen, which he always pointed out to me. The shoe going to drop. I need to be in control. Things like that. And for many, it's also that feeling of not being good enough and feeling not really, you know, that we are able to measure up or fit in, which I certainly can you know, talk a lot about in my own case, and many of my clients feel that way as well as one of those old programs of their anxiety. Now, what's so important about updating those programs is basically getting out of those childhood protective patterns and really updating yourself to, I'm an adult, and I can see the world and myself and the situations I'm in in a very different light. See, in some ways, the subconscious is like a hyperprotective nanny that was looking out for you, you know, for the first uh, 15, 20 years of your life and, and doesn't really get it that, well, I am actually much more capable, self-reliant, you know, have much more uh, possibility at my uh, hands than when I was little, that inner protector, unless it gets an update, will continue just be very vigilant when it comes to your safety. Now, how do you update these old programmings? Well, this is certainly something that I feel like it's helpful to learn more about how to work with the subconscious, how to consciously change limiting old beliefs, how to release stored emotions. And so that's a good thing to work with someone like myself. And you can find out all about those uh, programs and the breakthrough program I'm offering at drfriedman.com. You can also read my book, The Fear and Anxiety Solution, which really describes to you a step-by-step -step pro process on how to update uh, yourself into a more secure and empowered version. Now, and that is number six, which is really important, that you understand that anxiety or the opposite of anxiety is not the absence of anxiety, which we're often, you know, really hope for. When I ask people at the beginning of uh, working with them, you know, so what's your goal? Often they are saying, I don't want to feel anxiety. I don't want to feel being afraid, worry. And so... Basically, they are, they are focusing more on something not being there than something that, you know, will replace that emotion or that state of mind eventually. The problem when we focus only on something, you know, that uh, we wish it would be not there is that by focusing on that, I don't want it to be here. Uh, it's still going to be in the forefront of our mind. You know, I don't want anxiety. Well, all you focus on is anxiety. So the opposite of anxiety, I find, is trust. Not peace, not confidence. It's, it's really trust. Trusting in what? Well, trusting in yourself, trusting in others, trusting in life, trusting in the universe, in God, if you want to. But there is definitely the building of trust that needs to happen at the same time as you are updating your anxiety programs, as you are learning to listen more to what the anxiety is telling you, as you are 
more also befriending your anxiety as an inner guide who tells you, well, this is not working. This is what gets you out of balance. These are the circumstances where you freak yourself out. So you have to change your perception on that. All of those things that are really important to address, they need to be also going hand in hand with the building of trust. And I think a lot of people don't know how to build trust in themselves. And I feel that one of the best ways of building trust in yourself is to follow through with whatever you say you're doing. So that means, for example, that when you are, you know, saying, I'm going to, for example, as I said at the beginning, write down my negative thoughts for a whole week, that you actually follow through with this and not just, you know, do it for two days and then it's petering off. Or if you're saying that I will stop drinking 10 cups of coffee because I know that it causes me more anxiety, again, that you follow through with it and not just uh, do it for a few days and then stop yourself. So that's that being uh, in a place of building trust in your word and in your follow through, that's number six of that uh, of those 10 keys. Now, trust in life or trust in others is simply appreciating and letting go of those assumptions. You know, often when people are in anxiety, they don't really see anymore the good things they happen. You know, they have clients that have, you know, a happy marriage or beautiful children or, you know, a great home or a loving dog or whatever it is. But their focus is only on, is the anxiety there? How much anxiety do I have? Will the anxiety come back? And so trust building is then really also widening your perspective and seeing, yeah, I know I'm still in the healing process of anxiety, but I also can really soak in the love and the kindness and the compassion that comes my way. And I can see how, for example, the universe shows up for me. That's one of the funnest exercises you can do, just to every day look for the little treasures that happen in your life. You know, those synergies. You know, you're late for work and all of a sudden all lights are in green or you think about someone and uh, then they send you an email five minutes later and things that you just cannot explain but you enjoy. The little treasure hunts where you feel like, A, I seem to be somehow, you know, not alone. I'm taken care of. And B, I don't have to be always in control. Again, whether you're assuming that this is true or whether it's really true, it doesn't matter for your mind. It's just really comforting to go more into trust. Now, number seven is being a patient leader. And a patient leader simply means that you are not going into a frustrated mindset. I have sometimes clients that have been really dealing with uh, debilitating anxiety. And they have, in a very short amount of time, made wonderful progress. But then there is just, you know, maybe a little reoccurrence of anxiety happening. Or maybe they are still dealing with one aspect of anxiety that is not completely resolved and as a response they get frustrated they feel like you know nothing is working and they feel like that there is you know again this general feeling of 
black and whiteness. You know, either it's all gone or it's all bad. And that is not the leadership that your subconscious needs. You know, we are talking about trust. We're talking about your subconscious, that inner nanny, bodyguard, whatever you want to call it, saying, okay, I trust this adult self. He or she can take care of life maybe better than I thought. But in order to be that leader, that conscious leader that the subconscious can trust in so that it doesn't have to bring up anxiety and protect you all the time, you have to be kind. You have to be compassionate. You need to be patient with yourself and not constantly go into, oh, I can't do this anymore, or this is too much, or it's not really going my way, and then getting angry, frustrated, or down on yourself, because that's not leadership. I mean, have you ever, you know, felt that uh, being like this, frustrated, impatient, unkind, works with your children, with your spouse, or with your dog? No, it doesn't. You have to be really clear, consistent, compassionate, and patient in order to be that leader and that authority for yourself that your subconscious needs. So that means also when you're saying, I'm going to take care of, you know, my mental, emotional health. I'm going to be, you know, someone who's following through with his or her routine to, um, you know, get well. This can be a routine, you know, meditation, a journaling routine, going and uh, seeking help, whatever those routines are that you're choosing to do, that you are going with it and you're looking for progress and you're not just looking for perfection because frustration comes from as i said before you know all or nothing black and white has to be perfect or it's wrong just being a little bit more in that mindset of yeah it's a growing process this is why i find the that uh, that thought that it's not about you know, just healing or overcoming or breaking through anxiety. It's really about outgrowing it. It's, uh, you know, setting your mind already into that idea of, well, growth is taking time and it needs to not be rushed and it needs to really, you know, build, uh, be built on a, on a solid foundation. That's number seven. Now, number eight is to commit to your health and uh, you know the health and and well-being of your mind and that's so important because a lot of people feel like well the mind should actually function perfectly and uh, you know they are going four times a week to the gym they're eating a super healthy diet they are stretching and you know buying you know the the perfect ergonomic shoes and so on but when it comes to their mind they're just treating it like you know a stepchild i mean they're just most of us do this, so it's not only a few, taking their minds for granted. You know, how many times do we, even though our mind feels completely frazzled, overwhelmed, we're still bombarding it with, you know, going for hours on social media or the internet or watching some crime shows right before bed. How many times do we feel like our mind shouldn't need anything. It should always perform and be readily available to us, even though it may, you know, start to 
feel, you know, I'm on strike here. I can do this. I feel anxious, which again, it's just your mind not only telling you, well, there is something from the past that, you know, makes me go into those anxiety patterns. It can also be your mind saying right now, you are not treating me well. I'm in pain. I feel out of balance. I feel like that I'm not getting enough sleep, enough rest. I'm feeling like, you know, all about uh, some goals that I need to reach rather than maybe enjoying life and, uh, you know, smelling the roses. So being more mindful with your mind is really, really important. And that also means that you appreciate your mind more and that you're seeing, you know, my mind is actually a big, important part of me that needs to be nourished, needs to be nourished with positive thoughts, needs to be nourished with, you know, positive uh, affirmations and, uh, and thoughts about, again, gratitude and appreciation. My mind needs maybe sometimes also a little stretching. If it gets too closed-minded or too much of a tunnel vision perspective, it needs to be opened up. If it has only a small array of emotions that it focuses on, maybe just frustration or worry or stress, it needs to be opened up and really made focus on other emotions, positive emotions, emotions that get you more into a place of balance, just like you know, hope or joy or maybe you know, admiration of beauty. Whatever those things are that you're doing with your body, you can actually also do with your mind. Now, the, the mindset a lot of people have is, I'm anxious right now. I'm going to focus on making my mind healthy. But as soon as I'm feeling better, I'm stopping anything that I've been doing well for my mind because I shouldn't have to do this. Only people that are weak or flawed, those that are anxious, those need to do it. No one else does it. Well, guess what? In our society, in our lifestyle, we have to really, really make sure that our mind is taken care of for many reasons. Because our mind is really that resource that we rely on the most. And that's the resource that we need the, you know, the most dire to navigate through all those challenges and all those complications that modern lifestyle brings. So make sure that your mind gets all it needs. And that also means that you have to nourish your mind with the vitamins. That's the brain it needs. And nourish your minds with, you know, good uh, food, good uh, nourishment food that, uh, again, makes your mind feel better. And maybe avoiding, you know, these influences like caffeine or energy drinks and everything that jacks the mind up and doesn't really give it any time to rest and relax. Number nine is, in that regard, also changing your environment. You know, sometimes when we are uh, in that mindset of, well, okay, anxiety is an inner problem. Everything around me is probably unrelated to the anxiety. We are ignoring that the mind is reacting to everything that happens around us. So if you, for example, are having a hard time sleeping, well, because you're anxious or, you know, have uh, nightmares, chances are that your room is completely cramped. 
you know, your bedroom is maybe just filled with stuff. And uh, maybe there are some things that, you know, are from the past or your ex or whatever. And you just feel like, you know, that your, your mind is taking all this information in, even though your eyes are closed. A lot of people sleep in front of the TV or let the TV run at light at night. That's certainly overstimulating the mind as well, which again, the environment plays a big role. With the environment comes also how, you know, the people that you're surrounding yourself with and uh, the environment uh, at your work, for example. How does your desk look like? You know, is it chaotic? Is it ordered? Do you see everything in front of you or only the things that you need to focus on? How does your environment look like when you have time off? Are you sitting at home uh, surrounded by pizza boxes and uh, junk food wrappers? Uh, or do you feel like you have a Zen environment? Are you surrounding yourself with people that are always complaining and that basically only see the negative in the world and are gloom and doom? Or are you surrounded by people that are open-minded and warm-hearted and actually appreciate the good things? You know, these are all environmental things that you want to take into consideration when you are creating an anxiety-free space. Environment, of course, is also how you entertain yourself. I mean, that's, you know, a given that you do not want to be the news junkie that 12 hours a day is soaking on all different outlets and only gets more and more riled up and more and more worried. You have to really limit yourself when you're anxious and again widen your perspective on things that bring you a sense of greater trust and peace and that last step or that last key is see yourself as a work in progress and look forward to what is emerging because the person that emerges after you are growing anxiety is probably the better and maybe even the best version of yourself. It was certainly something for me that I know that when I overcame my anxiety, I became much more kind. I was tuning back into my sensitivity that I had lost uh, throughout the years as a cardiologist because I just felt like I had to shut that down to not get too overwhelmed. I tapped into my spirituality and really created a, a new relationship to the universe and to God. There are a lot of things that I felt the anxiety led me to that make me a much happier and in my mind, a much more well-rounded person. And I have seen this many times, actually most of the times with my clients that what comes after the anxiety is a much more authentic self, a much more empowered self, a self that knows him or herself better than before. So really look already out for that person. As you're going through outgrowing anxiety, through first taking ownership and then feeling more neutral about it and being more curious about where it comes from and realizing that it just wants to make sure that you're okay, that your anxiety actually cares so much about you because it really wants you to survive and, uh, and not get harmed. And 
as you're growing beyond those old patterns and programs, really becoming a patient, compassionate leader for yourself, making certain changes in your environment and being committed to your mental, emotional well-being. As you do all of those things, you will find that you understand yourself better. You take care of yourself better. And you are also a much more compassionate and caring resource for others. Because you learn to not react to your own anxiety. You learn to not judge yourself for your struggles and challenges. You learn to see that all has a purpose and a meaning. And it doesn't really have to be, you know, you don't have to live in this uh, black and white, good or bad duality anymore. And as you are just, you know, step by step, creating that freedom from the anxiety and understanding that, wow, I'm seeing so much more about myself that I didn't know I had, you will also see that you are incredibly courageous to not go the easy route. And just say, you know what, I really don't want to feel anything. So I'm just going to shut this anxiety down. I medicate or self-medicate myself, or I'm just closing my heart and, you know, avoid my emotions. Facing your anxiety, being curious about it, being open about it, that takes courage. Being not the person who is, you know, impatient and judging of yourself that takes compassion and really following through and staying on a path of self-observation, of self-awareness and self-empowerment, that takes commitment. And if you really meet anxiety with courage, with compassion and that commitment, you will transform into your most empowered, well-rounded, an authentic self. Well, I made it. <laughs> I wasn't sure if I can go through all those 10 keys. And there are so many. I could come up with 100 keys. There are so many things we can do to really gain power from anxiety and befriend ourselves with anxiety. So if you're curious about how your journey from anxiety to your authentic self could get started, well, go to my website, drfriedman.com, or just schedule a free consultation, and we can talk more about that. Well, until next time, thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in. Take good care and be kind to yourself. Goodbye. You've been listening to Empowerment Radio with Dr. Friedman Schaub. Join Dr. Friedman every first and third Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern, as he addresses some of the most prevailing challenges of our daily lives. To learn more about how Dr. Friedman's personal breakthrough program can help you overcome fear, anxiety, and low self-esteem, visit thefearandanxietysolution.com.